Welcome to the Women in Sport and Exercise Academic Network podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jackie Forsyth, and also co-founder of the network. The purpose of the Women in Sport and Exercise Academic Network is to grow, strengthen, and promote research on women in sport and exercise with the ultimate goal of optimizing women's athletic success and their participation. With these podcasts, we wish to bring you information from leading academics who are researching about women in sport and exercise and provide you with advice and support for the exercising female. Please remember our disclaimer that the opinions, content and recommendations contained within our podcast are for general information only and should not be substituted for medical advice, treatment or diagnosis. episode I chat with Molly Herford who is a coach and journalist in love with all things cycling, running, yoga and nutrition. When not outside Molly's writing on theoutdooredit.com interviewing world-class athletes and scientists for the Consummate Athlete podcast or writing articles for Outside, Bicycling and True Sport amongst others. She's a USA Cycling and Professional Mountain Bike Instructors Association certified cycling coach and a registered yoga teacher with Yoga Alliance. Molly is obsessed with getting more women interested in adventure and wellness and hosts talks and coaches clinics for cyclists. She's also the author of multiple books on cycling and nutrition. Her most recent project, Shred Girls, is a young adult fiction series out with Random House and a website focused on getting girls excited about bikes. joining today so this is Molly Herford welcome so you contacted our women in sport and exercise academic network because you're a member is that right yeah I've I've been following along I think since you started uh women in women in sport and the research behind it obviously fascinates me and I've gotten to talk to so many great female researchers over the years and heard about all of the problems with uh research in women's sport and lack thereof so I love this topic. And you do so many things. So you're a coach, you're a writer, you've got all these books that you've written, you've done your podcasting, your blogging, hosting talks, you run clinics, cycling clinics, all about getting women more engaged in sport and adventure and especially young females getting them interested in in cycling. But what for you came first? Was it the journalism or was it the cycling and the adventure? Yeah, it's uh, for me, it's always been writing first and bikes and everything else came much later. I, uh, my, my great, great uncle once wrote a book about uh, riding across the US on his bike back in 1923. And I remember seeing it when I was six years old and thinking, oh my gosh, I want to write a book. It did not even occur to me that the biking was an element of that. And then yeah, when I hit university age, I just kind of realized, oh, right, I should probably learn how to run a mile or be able to pedal a bike for more than five minutes to be a healthy person. So I kind of got into cycling through that and fell in love with it. And the cycling journalism just kind of started from there and has has kept going and ramped up over the years. So my interest in young women in sport ends up being because I wish someone had gotten me into it at a younger age, but you could not have pried me out of a book and onto a soccer field or onto a track or anything if you tried. <laughs> <laughs> 
obviously you've had to do a little bit of research when you're putting together your clinics or your books that you've done and is that right that one of the books that you wrote saddle saw was based on the fact that you didn't find any research to do with women and cycling especially with well i guess it must be about how the seat feels <laughs> um so is that what prompted the the writing of the book that's exactly it. I would, uh, you know, at this point, I was racing bikes pretty seriously and writing about bike racing, not really anything in training or nutrition yet. And I'd have women coming up to me at races. And I am not even kidding you when I say dropping their pants to be like, do you know what this is? And, you know, they're having chafing or saddle sore issues. And I'm like, I don't know. See a doctor, please. Um, and I tried to look for a resource to send them to because I was like, I don't want to address this. I don't know what's happening. And I couldn't find anything you know this is six years ago i think at this point where just you couldn't find any information about saddle sores or why you're going numb in the saddle when you're riding that stuff just wasn't really around you'd have a few research things on like men and erectile dysfunction with cycling but not a whole lot for the women so yeah i started talking to a bunch of gynecologists and doctors and pro cyclists to see how they handled it and I thought it was going to be an article. I thought that was going to be it. And I asked on, I think it was Twitter. I was like, does anyone have any female related, like specific cycling questions? And I think I had 60 emails by the end of the day from women that were just like, why is this happening with my period and bikes? Or why is this happening when I ride at this time? And just all of these questions that didn't have answers that I could direct them to. So I wrote it. And I don't think my mother has forgiven me yet, but I still, you know, go around and do women's nights at bike shops and talk all about lady parts and bikes. <laughs> <laughs> so was there anything in the book then that you learned that was really useful? Yes. The biggest thing that ends up causing a lot of the issues with saddle sores is the same thing that causes issues with, you know, UTIs in runners and stuff like that. And it's that we finish our, we finish our sport and then we hang out in our bike shorts or our running shorts. And if anything, the fashion industry has made this worse in the last few years, because now it's all about clothes that can go from hot yoga to brunch. Um, so you're, you're hanging out in your tights long after your spin class is over. Um, yeah, I've just got my kit on. I haven't changed yet. Yeah. <laughs> so the first thing I always tell people at this point is if you want to avoid any of those discomfort issues, whether it's running or riding, is when you walk in the door, go like full on Daffy Duck style and drop your drawers, get the heck out of your, your kit and uh, get cleaned up as soon as you can is the, the big kind of overarching one. And then the other thing is a lot of us as women and you know, this is triathletes, especially cyclists in general, we, uh, we tend to sit on the saddle of the bike and then not get up, not move off of it. We are just putting all of our weight on it in one spot. The best thing we can do for ourselves is just get up every couple minutes, just stand up for a couple of pedal strokes. You shift around a little bit, you sit down on a slightly different part, you get some blood flow back into uh, into all of your, your nether regions and into your legs and feet. And it does so much good, but we're so bad at remembering to do it. <laughs> and do you think there's there's more research on that now? And you said this was six years ago. Do you think it's changed or is changing so that there is more research on specifics like that? So gynecological issues to do with specific sports? I think so. 
primarily because like bike companies are leading the charge. I know Specialized and Trek have put a ton of work into things like Trek does pressure mapping now where you can actually get on a seat cover and it shows you where you're you're pressing on the saddle and they can make little adjustments so it evens out. Um, Specialized has done a ton of work you know, some of it's a little little questionable with lipstick on the labia and stuff like that um, in terms of how they're showing what their saddles do. Um, but they've done a lot of really good things as far as creating women's saddles. And I think it's really just as more women have come into cycling, the bike companies have realized there's money to be made if they actually make products that are for women and, you know, designed to make women more comfortable on the bike. So it does seem like it's changing a little bit. <laughs> And with your latest venture, so you've done another book art called Lindsay's Joyride, and that's more fiction, yes? Yes, right? so that's my that's my foray into what's called middle grade fiction, so that like eight to 13 year old range. And the reason I kind of opted to do that, it's so that's book one of what's going to be at least a three book series. Um, the first one, Lindsay's Dryad, just came out a couple weeks ago. And the reason I wanted to hit that age is because that's where research shows the fast, like the highest dropout for girls in sport is, particularly girls in cycling. You know, we all learn how to ride a bike. Or, I mean, most of us do. We're taught how to do that, you know, around the age of four or five years old. And then we, you know, we play on bikes as little kids. And then somewhere in that, like, early preteen years, we stop doing it. And that's at the time when we could be developing the best skills and, you know, really finding a love of these sports. So I tried to think of like, how can I keep girls in sport? And I started thinking about all the books that I used to read at that age. And the one that kind of popped in my head was the Babysitter's Club. I was obsessed with the Babysitter's Club series, which is quite literally a series about girls who babysit. It doesn't get more boring activity-wise than babysitting. But I read that book and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to start babysitting. So I was like, what if I could write a book series that makes cycling seem cool to that age group? I mean, if if people started babysitting because of books, we can certainly get them on bikes having fun. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's kind of how it started. And you know, it kind of was this original idea of, oh, I'll just self-publish this book, but it got picked up by a much bigger publisher. And now it's in bookstores and actually, you know, reaching some more non-cyclist audience. And I'm, I'm hearing about girls that are now getting on bikes and riding again for the first time in years. And it's the most exciting thing in the world. So we could almost do some research on that. There could be potential there in terms of whether... It does change because we can produce a lot of literature or blogs and you can do all these things, but you don't really know how what impact you're having. So that yeah. would be useful to know. I mean, maybe over time you could collect some data on how many kids who have read the book uh, have taken up cycling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, so much of the stuff that we, we do in research and in those blogs and stuff, it's all parent facing, but you know, a lot of the time, let's be honest, at the age of 12, I wasn't listening to a word my parents said. If they were like, maybe you should play softball, I'd be like, softball sounds terrible. I don't want to do that. So I wanted to figure out a way to, yeah, take what we what we were finding in research as far as girls in sport and then find a way to actually bring it to the girls, not just bring it to parents and say, like, we should get our kids outside. Because I think we're, we were kind of missing a, a big opportunity there. Often as researchers, we 
have to, and as academics or for practitioners, we have to come up with an exercise intervention that might be appealing for younger females. And because you've done all these clinics, these different ideas you've got, is there anything, any advice you could give to researchers on something that could be more novel that might work in terms of being a little bit more unique what's worked for you in terms of trying to get more females engaged yeah i mean i think so the first book is in an indoor bike park and it's one of those things that i had never heard of when i was a kid and it ends up being so much fun because it's so easily it's so easily accessible um i've done a lot of clinics that didn't go great because they started with, you know, you have to climb a giant hill or something like that to get to the fun trails. And by the time you've climbed this giant hill, if you're an eight-year-old that doesn't really ride bikes, or I mean, honestly, an 18-year-old who doesn't really ride bikes, you're so tanked at the top of the hill that you're not going to have fun on anything else. You're, you're exhausted. So I think finding those, those places that we can take girls where there's kind of that instant fun instead of the, I promise it gets fun once we get to the top of the hill, or I promise it gets fun after we, you know, ride down this busy road and finally get to the, the nice quiet neighborhood. And I think you can do so much in, in parks, like small areas. You don't need to have a big place. We do a lot of mountain bike clinics that are done in a field, not even on trails, and people learn a ton. And have you had a good uptake on this? You run these clinics, you call them clinics? Yeah, my my husband is actually a bike skills coach. That's what his primary profession is. And then, so we, we run a lot of them together. And yeah, we've done them for women, for girls, for mixed groups, mixed ability levels. And yeah, we've been doing that for, Peter's been doing that for 15 years. I've been doing it for six or seven at this point. And are they just one off or they're a series? It's every every week? Depends on who it is. We've done a lot of the serious things with different clubs. So you, you start with the very basics and you're slowly progressing. You know, if you take, uh, say, like bunny hopping, for example, on the bike. So kind of getting over a, a big log or something. You know, the first week you might be rolling over a stick and just trying to work on weight distribution. By the second week, maybe you're working on lifting the front wheel over a slightly bigger board or something. You know, six weeks later, you're hopping a two foot log with no problem. Oh, that sounds great. Now, you also do um, these podcasts and you've got blogs and you've got so many. So there's so many podcasts, so many blogs. Out of all those that you've done, this might be a hard question. Is the one podcast or a blog that you're particularly proud of that you think is quite relevant or inspirational to women? Oh, gosh, so many, so many. We've talked to so many amazing women. One of my favorites that we did recently was uh, we talked with uh, sports psychologist Danelle Kabush. She's uh, based out in BC in Canada, and she you know, has done a ton with the national teams and with her own practice um, with sports psychology. She's also raced at a professional level, so she really understands what, what some of the issues facing women in sport are, and she's very heavily into the, the mental side of dealing with uh, Red S for you know, female athletes, which is obviously a growing concern in in the sporting world at this point. Um, And talking to her is always fascinating, hearing kind of what's what's new with her and where she's at in the research and what she's been up to. But I also just last night finished interviewing Stacey Sims, um, who is one of, you know, the leading researchers in women's exercise science at this point. And she is always just 
fascinating to talk to, you know, talking about what we're finally starting to learn about hormones and timing our cycle to our training and just all of the, you know, different hydration issues for women versus men. It's always so enlightening to talk to her. I've talked to her probably a hundred times in the last 10 years. And every time I walk away, I just go, oh my gosh, I have so much, so much new to, that I've learned that I need to share with people. One of the ideas of these podcasts that I'm doing is that often as researchers, you know, we might write something and put it in a scientific journal, but we're not actually going out there and selling it on formats like podcasting. And that we need to really, that we need to keep talking in more simple terms or lay terms about what we're doing so that people can learn, learn from things. Absolutely. And I think one of the big things is, I mean, the more accessible researchers are, the better the chance of their information not getting misconstrued in mainstream media. Um, because it's, you know, definitely studies come out and like the little headline of them gets blown up by, and you know, I'll throw myself under the bus like journalists like me. Um, but a lot of that is because the researchers haven't made themselves accessible. So it's hard to, the amount of you know, researchers I've, I've emailed and tried to get interviews with over the years, hundreds and of them, you know, maybe 20% end up replying and I managed to speak with them. And it's always fascinating and amazing. And I learned so much that I wouldn't have necessarily learned or understood from just reading their paper or reading the abstract as many journalists tend to do. So I, I think my biggest thing as a journalist is like urging researchers to go on podcasts and, you know, reach out to journalists and talk to them and let them know what the research is showing and what they're actually doing. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So is there something that you've learned then from talking all with all these researchers that you've learned and therefore changed your practice? Oh gosh, so many things. Um, Stacy keeps laughing at me because every time we talk, I'm like, guess what? I ate more when I was running and I felt better. She's like, yes, I've been telling you that for 10 years, Molly. And I'm like, yeah, I know. But last time I talked to you, you mentioned, you know, this one thing and it finally clicked over and I, I started, you know, actually eating during my runs. And I would say I'm, I'm a hard case because I, I really am just one of those people that would rather just go out and ride for hours and just do that and not have any interventions. Uh, you know, I'm terrible at remembering to foam roll. I'm terrible at, you know, making sure I have my protein post-workout, all of that stuff. And the more, thankfully, the more researchers I talk to for articles, the more inclined I am to actually do these healthy interventions. So, you know, I was just working on an article on, you know, how not to foam roll. And I realized all of these things that I was not aware of about foam rolling. And now I'm actually doing it more regularly. So, yeah, most of my most of what I do is prompted by a lot of researchers telling me I need to do better at things. And what do you think you still want to learn then? Oh, gosh. Um, how do I get faster? <laughs> I will admit I... I my main thing is I get weird muscle cramps that are kind of like a medical mystery. So every time I talk to a researcher, I'm asking what they think about muscle cramping. So I've, you know, learned so many different interventions and I'm hoping that one day I will find the one that clicks in with why exactly I have that particular thing. We'll just keep interviewing people and then yeah, hopefully you okay. will. <laughs> and about that then, is there anybody particularly that you're interested in interviewing in the future? Is there anybody that you haven't been able to get hold of yet and you think, right, I really want to get this person? Oh, God, um, that's that's a good one. I would actually love 
to get Steven Seiler back on our podcast. We had him on, I think, almost three years ago now when we were very first starting out. And, you know, his research on periodization in sports and, you know, all of those principles and his, um, his like pyramid of greatness, basically for athletes is just like the coolest thing. And I think now that it's been three years and I've been doing a lot more in actual research, I would love to get him back on to, to kind of keep talking about it and diving into it as, as someone who can finally understand it a little bit better and has now seen it kind of going out through a ton of other research. So yeah, he's, he's always at the top of my list. Also, he's just fascinating to talk to. <laughs> is that because you're still at this stage where you're are you trying to is there a personal best you're going for or a particular thing that you're going for at the moment yeah I've uh I've kind of like found myself in ultra running which I feel like a lot of people have it's very trendy right now and I've totally fallen in love with it um so 50 kilometer races are my trail races anyway are my new favorite thing and there's so much to figure out with that because it's short enough to still be a really hard effort but it's it's long enough that you really need to have things like nutrition and hydration and pacing and all of that stuff just so perfectly dialed. And, you know, the toll it takes on your body is so much higher than running even a road marathon. So all of the recovery and stuff like that needs to be perfectly dialed if you're going to actually win these races and not be like me and keep getting beat by, you know, a couple people. So I feel like I'm I'm getting close, but I'm not quite there. And that's where kind of all of these uh, marginal gains, all of like the 1% are starting to kind of matter to me a lot more. This might have to just come to an end now. But I was going to just mention that we've got a book out called The Exercise in Female. And I was just wondering, because you've just said that, you know, about um, being at your peak, the book was kind of focused on general athletes, but also on women who exercise. I just wanted a more broad range. Um, But maybe there's an avenue that we could just do another book, which is two types then, and it would be one for more the recreation female and one for more the sporting female, because the differences can be quite extreme especially when you're talking about marginal gains and making a tiny bit of improvement where sometimes for an exercising female it's how to get through the exercise without so much pain or how to make it more comfortable it's not necessarily getting the seconds off your time I think so and I mean even in even in the research like that's such a good point we often kind of like it's like okay we have all of these different buckets for men's research right you have like the elite men you have the recreational athlete you have like the sedentary men and then all of a sudden it's like and then there's women's research um but we tend to you know it's it's very easy to forget that women are also broken down in all of those buckets and we have the elite women and the sedentary women and the exercising women so I think it's it's great to see that that's that research is getting expanded on and I think it's such an important thing to keep in mind we again you know when you're in the media and you're kind of looking for new topics and stuff it's very easy to see oh women were used in this study this clearly applies to all women instead of looking at it and be like oh it's elite female athletes because you would never make that mistake with men's research really and as well you know there's so many facets in terms of time so there's the adolescent period which is what you're focusing on that time where, where there's dropout there's also menopause there's also pregnancy there's all pre-menopause then there's post-menopause older age and you can still be competing at all those ages still exercising at all those ages so there's there's a lot more to do mm-hmm. 
there's a lot of research out there on these things. It's just maybe collecting them all together. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why what you guys are doing is amazing. <laughs> so look, thanks, Molly, for talking with me today. Yes. It's been great. Um, I really love to hear about all the work that you're doing on this, all your podcasts podcasts and your blogs and all the things you're doing it's fan absolutely fantastic and you know if I had a daughter of that age I would be encouraging them to get, get that book well, <laughs> I'll have to get um, you a copy so you can see it and check it out okay so really thanks for chatting um, yes, thank you yeah, great thank you